First of all, usually I have alcohol, but um, because I'm still recovering from London, I am drinking um, water. Okay. Water out of a canteen. Uh, you know. Uh, Stay hydrated. Have you ever done a podcast before? No. The rules are simple. Um, let's not talk over each other. So if somebody's talking, you wait for them to be done because the audience can't hear. Um, and keep it a buck. Keep it a buck. That's really just it. All right. Like, don't talk over each other and keep it a buck. Because I try my best to make the show as organic as possible. Because mm-hmm. the whole point of the show is, like, you're listening to two, like, good friends having a great conversation. Yeah. And you're eavesdropping <laughs> with their consent. Okay. So I asked you, like, two seconds ago, like, if you act like Beyonce and you seem surprised. The reason why I have to ask people if they like Beyonce is because Beyonce is polarizing. I know. Oh, put, make sure you put the mic to your mouth. Beyonce is very polarizing. It's like either you love her or you wish all harm to her and future generations of her likeliness. And I just, it's, it's a weird thing to be angry about. You know, I have, a, I, like, I have a winding path of how I came to like just be an absolute Bayhive member because I didn't start out like that. It was winding. It was winding. Oh, so you're a former Beyonce hater who's been reformed no, as plain as I, I sip on my water. I wasn't a hater. So, you know, Destiny's Child came out while I was still living in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And I love them, writing on the, the writings on the wall. That's one of the first albums that I spent my own money on. In Haiti? Right? In Haiti. <gasps> they had I mean, Destiny's t- Child t- in Haiti. Why am I acting brand new? Of course, Haiti's a country. It has Destiny's Child. Yeah, so um, when I came back to the States, you know, I still love Destiny's Child. And then they broke up, right? And when Beyonce started coming out with her own material... Mm-hmm. I I heard it and it's good, but I was questioning how I was experiencing her because I come I came from Haiti where colorism is very obvious. Mm-hmm. It's very matter of fact. It's very yeah. bleach your skin. It's very the lightest skin girl, the girl with the long hair. She's number one just because, uh-huh. right? So as as she's coming out with her material, I'm questioning if I like her because I like her or if it's my own bias. All right, so. This is interesting. You're not saying that you had an issue because you were feeling some kind of like umbrage about her getting accolades. You were actually chin checking yourself about, do I fuck with you heavy because of my own bias? Yes, because like I said, like I said, you know, I come back from Haiti Mm -hmm. where colorism is pretty obviously obvious. And I come back to the States where there is colorism, but nobody wants to admit to it. So what years were these? They this was the now, early child. aughts, the early aughts, and I was uh, in New York, mm-hmm. and um, it's like it's obvious to me, but you know, it's it's like, like you're like, why'd you pick the light skin girl? And they're just like, well, she deserves it. You know what I mean? It's 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 a little more. Dishonest. I actually don't know what you mean. And here's the thing: this is so interesting, yeah. right? And this is something that people always stare at me. I think that because I'm a brown skinned woman, people mm-hmm. assume that I have a certain um, baseline yeah. of experience with colorism that I don't. No, it's not It's not even like stuff that I personally experience. It's right. like what I'm observing, like how the culture is going, who yeah. is popular, who is getting the accolades. Yeah, I don't even so. have that. I think I, think I how do I say this? I think I was a little naive oh. for oh, a very long time. Okay. So I was like 17. Yeah. Before someone actually sat me down and explained to me oh. what colorism sincerely was. Wow. I know. Yeah. I mean, I think part of me being neurodivergent as well, too. Yeah. But, like, for me, because in my family, we mm-hmm. were so mixed. Mm-hmm. There was light and dark and everything in between. Yeah. In my upbringing, I never saw a difference in treatment in my family. Mm. But when I left, 
my cousins mm-hmm. said, oh, no, honey, they didn't do it around you because they knew you were going to cuss them out. <laughs> they were See? being colorist. They just yeah. weren't doing it around you. So I think for a long time I was shielded for colorism, not because it wasn't prevalent, mm-hmm. but because everybody knew you can't do funny shit around blue. She's going to have a throw a tantrum. She's going to have attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Um, so you're like, no, I was exposed. I saw I was, it. I saw it. Like, you know, you go to the marketplace. Why did I not shit? But, you know, you go to the marketplace to get food for the day. And you, you have the, the vendors with the baskets of the skin lightening cream, the skin bleaching In cream. Haiti. In Haiti. The soap. What was it? Black opal soap. Shirley cream. It's, it's, it's wild uh, because Haiti and Nigeria, to me, mm. are some of the blackest places on earth, right? It, right. They've been a study that's happened where they've said that the blackest place on earth is Nigeria. I think like... The third blackest place on earth is actually, no, the blackest place on earth is Nigeria. I think the second blackest place on earth is uh, either Haiti or America. No, Brazil is second, actually. Brazil is second. Brazil is second. Mm-hmm. And then um, America is like third and like Haiti's like fourth, yeah. right? So I'm used to thinking of Haiti and Nigeria as being these black places. Mm-hmm. But when you look at skin lightening mm-hmm. and you look at the places where the skin lightening is happening the most. In the, in the big cities. It's also in, in, in those places. Yeah, it is. And um, I mean, of course, you have those of us who are proud over skin and whatever, but it's it's kind of like I'm I'm gonna say like the social climbers, they would do that because you know they're trying to get a leg up and they think so getting lighter is that way. Let's unpack it. So you're saying that there are people who, back on the island, mm-hmm. think that if not the only thing, but probably are being uh, substantially uh, incentivized to think this of course, way. The media, the, the lighter you are, the better it is. You know what's so funny? This episode um, is supposed to be about me catching up from my trip to London. Um, and like current events is a couple of things that have been happening, hot topics I want to get into. Yeah. However, I know that for everybody who's watching my Instagram story, shout out to all my people out there. And for those who are wondering what this voice is, this is my friend Rose Sterling. She Hi. is, first of all, she's an actor, but she also wanted me to point out that she's a cannabis activist who, mm-hmm. and, and you guys know it's near and dear to my heart because I, I do believe strongly that a lot, I don't just believe it's actually a fact. So let me give myself some credit. It is a fact that anti-marijuana legislation in America, at least, is steeped in anti-blackness. And so for me to be pro-black, I have to be pro-marijuana in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came on here expecting to talk about how much I love London because everybody knows that I had a great time in London. I was a flight risk. I was telling everybody who would listen, how do I figure out how to be transatlantic or whatever? This is my new home. Yeah. When I got home from London, me and my friend Mike, who's also Haitian. We were like, yo, America's the ghetto. Like, we need to figure out how to live half our time in America and half our time in London. Mm-hmm. And I've been saying that the last, I've only been back a couple of, like, what, three days? Mm-hmm. This morning, something hit me about what's the one thing about London I did not like. And what I did not like about London, because you have to remember, even though it's, yeah, London's the original New York, mm-hmm. it's sexy, it's polished, it's cosmopolitan, the colorism in London is a hundred times more blatant and socially celebrated than in America. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the same difference that I noticed. And yeah. I'm stunned because I'm shocked. I'm stunned at me being shocked because it's the birthplace of our colonizers. Why would I not think they were still trying to colonize us mentally instead of physically, right? And for those of you who are like, Blue, we're stunned you're saying this because you've been bigging up London all week. And for my London friends who are watching this, who are like, Blue, this is not what we were expecting. You were talking about how much you love London. What I was sitting with was, I was like, why am I having so much fun and yet something feels off? And I realized it was because my friends took me to a block party full of black and brown people, gorgeous. 
Um, they lived in Brixton. I went to Brixton. Gorgeous. I went to a Haitian resta- uh, restaurant in London. I saw the story. Amazing. I saw the Shout stories. out to the Tiki Bar uh, and Grill in, in London. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but your food was smashing. I had all these black experiences, right? I went to the Mo Gilligan show. Shout out to him and his whole crew. Beautiful people, beautiful people of color. So much love, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that I loved about London was steeped in blackness and loving on black people. Mm-hmm. I go to my hotel. I go to my rental house turn on the TV, and I'm realizing that despite having this glorious black experience in real life, the minute you tap into London media, every single TV show that is about desirability, so every dating show, Mm -hmm. every commercial, every beauty ad, shows that only white women or black women who look as close as possible to white women are attractive. Or the mixed women. Oh, literally as close as possible to because now they're not all white, mixed, right? There's a lot of light skinned women who are not mixed, and we mm-hmm. have to also be mindful about that too. They're like, I have two black parents, so I'm mm-hmm. choosing my mm-hmm. words carefully. Mm-hmm. And then I started like watching YouTube videos, but YouTube now knows I'm in London, so YouTube is sending me London videos from BuzzFeed instead of American videos. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a group of boys called the Beta Squad, right? And these boys make these fun BuzzFeed-esque videos that I actually love to watch. And in one of the videos, they're trying to choose if they're attracted to girls based on their outfits. And so they're showing the shoes first, then the, the legs and the pants then the stomach, and then the, they show the reveal the face. Every single episode I watched, not a single non-ambiguously black femme was included. I'm not surprised. And if she was, she was quickly treated like a cis. And so... What bothered me about London, despite the fact that I love it, is London does not know how to love black femmes out loud. Mm-hmm. It's not really accepted yet. Racially non-ambiguous black femmes, I should say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I sat with that with a discomfort that finally made me understand people who tell stories like you told. People who have childhood stories around. I was walking around the marketplace and I could just tell that the light was right and the dark was bad. I used to be like, I didn't have that experience. The prettiest person in my family is my mama. She's the darkest, right? Mm -hmm. London actually caught me up. I was like, oh shit, y'all don't think anybody who is darker than, fuck a paper bag, who is darker than a Werther's Original Caramel candy is attractive. And so London, I love you, um, but now that the haze of vacation is over, I don't think I would have liked myself in my blackness mm. as much as I do had I been raised in an environment where you watch Love Island and every black man does not want a black girl. Yeah. It's um like like here like I mentioned earlier, here in the United States it's a lot more covert. We don't really talk America about it. America did a great it. job of hiding it from me for a while. Yeah, yeah, we don't really talk about it. But everywhere else it's it's pretty blatant. Um I I um I was looking for some particular product that I used to get in Haiti that you got from India. So I'm like looking for it on Indian Google. Like a skincare product? Yeah, a skincare product. Mm-hmm. And it, it keeps returning all these skin lightening um, products to me. And come to find out, there's like it's like uh, an industry worth billions out there. Oh, Asia is probably like one of the top consumers. Yeah. yeah. And they send their products to the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so have you been to London before? No, I've only I've I've only been here ac- across the country three times and Haiti. Yeah, I have traveled the entire world and I don't know why this trip hit me different. I think the first time I went to Europe, it was so blatantly white and opulent. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not expecting much. I'm just you know out here spending my money. My mother and I went to Monte Carlo and we did the south of France. It was very bougie, Ooh. very cute. We went to Rome and Naples and all this stuff, right? Yeah. So if you're having a bourgeois. European experience, you kind of expect that it's going to be steeped in whiteness. Yeah. 
I think you're it prepared was, for yeah, it. Yeah, you prepare for it. But the juxtaposition of I'm surrounded by all these beautiful black British people and feeling all this love and feeling like a flight risk and then turning on my TV and seeing the complete opposite, I think that's what fucked with my spirit. Mm-hmm. So, like, I will say to any little black girls who, or even grown black women who live in the UK, who are not ambiguous in their blackness, I need you to know that my heart hurts for you because a lot of you have a self-esteem that I now am in awe of having spent just a week in that environment. I'm in awe of it, right? Yeah. Like my friend James and Meza, like they're a beautiful married couple and she's black, he's black, not a big, like just a black couple. And I was just like, the fact that you guys happened in this this white supremacist space is, 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 is actually a miracle now. I actually want to hit them up and be like, y'all, your, your black love needs to be celebrated if that happened in the UK. And what's interesting is I come on this show and I have championed a lot of interracial relationships because my stance on interracial relationships is if you are falling in love and happens to be someone who is of a different culture, mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. I'm never going to begrudge love. You're right. If you say, I want anything but a black person, Right. Because you're running from your community because you feel like you need to dilute your blackness. Then that's, that's what I have a problem with. That's not love. That is white supremacy masquerading as preference. And so I have no issue with no interracial relationships and I have lots of interracial friends. I do have an issue with men who think anybody but a black woman is desirable. Of course. Of course. And I think it's doing a disservice when we conflate the two. It is. Because there's a lot of people who are in interracial relationships who are not like that. Because it's kind of like... From 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 my own personal experience, what I've observed, right? Yeah. Um, oh my god, I don't want anybody to get mad that I'm going to say this, it's but it's called humanized. From what I've what I've observed, and it took me actually a long time to even admit to myself that this is what I was seeing. What I what I would notice is, um, like with 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 black male and white female relationships, right? What they would most often have in common with each other is hating on black women. Mm-hmm. You'd ask them, why are they together? And the black man would just give you this litany, like this list of reasons of how she, she's not black and that's why I'm with her. And it's like, well, this is, this is kind of like you're, you're trying to attach yourself to her in order to access white privilege, mm-hmm. but that'll never happen, you know? And it's, you're dehumanizing yourself. And I used to, I used to feel a lot of rancor over that because it's, I mean it's hurtful though, right? Yeah, it, because there's a lot of there's a lot of black men who do not date black women, but still felt a way about Serena Williams marrying a white man. Oh my and so, god! So, and so my thing is, if you feel a way about a black woman dating a white man, and you don't even date black women, imagine how it feels for those who do who do want you who do like you, who do see you as an option. Imagine how it feels for us. And so I think there has to be a conversation. um, And this is something that might get me in trouble, so I'm going to choose my words carefully in this industry. I think the people who see no color are doing as much damage as those who only see color. Let me explain. We live in a world where we know that, that racists are bad. We know white supremacists are bad. That's obvious, right? And if you don't know that, then you probably listen to the wrong podcast, right? However... There's another other extreme, and you know, I, I always say that extremes are mirrors, which I call the Shonda dynamic, where in a world where everybody's mixed. In Shonda Rhimes' uh, shows, it's always a mix and match, mm-hmm. and that's supposed to be progressive, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. That is progressive in a world where black people loving each other has also already been celebrated. There you go. We skipped black people healing from the disparities 
and the division that was caused between us and went straight to let's have everybody mix. And I think that there's nothing wrong with interracial relationships. I do think there is something intellectually dishonest about having it in place of black people finding loving on each other. I would love a world where people could love whoever they wanted and black people could see themselves finally healing and loving each other and see interracial couples and see mixed whatever couples in addition to black people loving each other. We went from thinking that we were um, fighting to be seen as human to now fighting to mix with others to be seen as valid. Never once did I feel like there was a, a strong pause in us just being allowed to love each other. And reconcile. And that doesn't mean excluding people. The, the irony is, when I talk about black-on-black -black love, because we're quick to talk about black-on-black -black crime, but we're slow to talk about black-on-black -black love. Black-on-black -black love is actually very inclusive. Black people are actually very inclusive. From All it takes is a, a, a cool white girl who you grew up with, and you're going to call her your sister. We constantly invite other ethnicities and cultures to be around us as long as they see us. Exactly. That's why when you see videos of cops dancing and doing the Dougie and suddenly he's invited to the barbecue. Right. That's why it's no so other race has barbecues. We have a barbecue because we want people to come over here. We want to actually share our space. We've never been allowed to just be us, though. And so for me, skipping black on black love and going straight to well, if we just make everything mixy everything will be fine i think is bullshit because most of my mixed friends tell me that anti-blackness also affects them i have a friend who's biracial and who could pass mm -hmm. she can pass for white but she could, she could pass for a light-skinned latina mm -hmm. she tells me that when she tries to date celebrity guys like the ballers and the high value men they tell her that she's still too black she doesn't look black but the idea that she even has a black parent still feels too black for them. Uh, That's not preference, guys. Ew. That's anti-blackness. <laughs> Look at your face. And so, yeah, I just feel like this, guys. If you are having to talk down about another group to talk about what you love, that is not it's love. It's not love. Love does not need to talk shit. If, you need to, if I ask you, why are you with Susie? And Susie happens to be a white presenting Latina. And your first response is she's obedient, unlike the black bitches that you dated before, before her. That's not about Susie, and it's definitely not about love, okay. right? Like, you shouldn't have to put another group down. And I think a lot of times men can be disingenuous because they pretend like they don't know why we're upset. Mm -hmm. And yet the minute they meet their female counterpart, the minute a, a black woman-hating man meets a black man-hating woman, suddenly he's deeply offended by her acting exactly like him. For, to that point, I actually, there was, a, there was a TikTok video circulating a couple of weeks ago where there, this black British man who is married to a white Ukrainian woman and they have a child. And he went on and did this whole video talking about how he feels enraged every time he sees a black woman with a white man. Do y'all do hear the hypocrisy? Enraged, okay? And it's just, it's like, I, I, I couldn't, can't even talk about it really because it's like you're you literally there's pictures of you and your wife and he admits it he's like let's talk about it and I'm just like I can't even believe this left your drafts well here's the thing too the thing about people who play victim is it you can't play victim and be logical because logic would would read the room logic would be like well if this makes sense in this direction it has to make sense in that direction right like universal law mm -hmm. is reciprocal mm -hmm. when you play victim you turn off looking at yourself from across the room and only center your pain. Oh. And so it's impossible to play victim and be logical. 
Oh. It's, re- it's really hard. I've watched people try. It's intellectually dishonest. I'm mm-hmm. going to keep saying it. Anybody who was being intellectually honest gets what I'm saying. Because what I'm saying is not steeped in pain. I just said earlier, I was damn near a legal adult before I really peeped what colorism was. Because I was living in a happy little kumbaya world where, in my mind, you want to hear the joke? In my mind, everybody in my family who was dark-skinned had a light-skinned partner. So I was like, oh, if you're chocolate, that means light-skinned people are going to want to fuck you. So whenever I would meet like a cute boy, true too. whenever I meet a cute boy who was super light, I'm like, oh, he gonna like me. He gonna like this chocolate. Like I, 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 I did not read the room properly. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that me being chocolate meant that like people were gonna like, oh, people like, like contrast. Wow. In my childlike neurodivergent brain, I just thought that opposites attract like yin and yang. I never once thought that I was supposed to think I was less cute. That's so funny because like when when I was younger, that 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 like that every time a light skinned guy showed me attention, I was like, "What's the matter with you?" Really? Yeah, because well, we had very different childhoods. I was I was just like, "What what is happening here?" Because you know you're not supposed to like me. So what would because of what I grew up seeing? Yeah, I would be like, "You want something specific from me?" Because at this point, I just expect to be dehumanized. Girl, I was the opposite. I was like, "Of course he want he want this." Uh, oh my god! That's- I was like, "He want he want this. He he want this." But you know. It's not necessarily what I want. I so will also I would say this too, though. I grew up in the '90s. I don't know. Did you grow up in the '90s? Yeah, but I grew up in Haiti yeah, while it was different. being occupied. It no, was that's different. different, different, different. I grew up in the '90s on the East Coast, where it was like, "You all did I need?" Like it was, it was very Method Man and Mary J. Blige. Mm-hmm. So I also think that having my teenagers happen to be during a very specific time, mm-hmm. where everybody was at least pretending to be pro-black. Mm-hmm. And where a lot of biracial people were like, "Look, I'm gonna wear dashiki because you need to know I'm fucking black." <laughs> so I come from that age. So in my in my day and age, yeah. light skinned people were the most pro black. Yeah, yeah. They they had I, their fists in the air. They were they were doing Kwanzaa. Like it was very like I need you to know that I am, yeah. I am black, right? When I first came back and I was I lived in Brooklyn for a year and yeah the the. The, the light skinned guys in Brooklyn, they were they were all over it. I was so I love pro blackness. Like, so, so I'm just my, my friend was like, she was like, are you color struck? I was like, what do you mean? She was like, why do you date so many light skinned people? I was like, first of all, they're the only ones who are hitting on me, and second of all, because they're very pro black and I'm pro black. It took me years to realize that d- darker skinned men were not hitting on on me because you're dark skinned. That's wild to me. That is. It's like how? Let me just be center this. This conversation is not meant to attack anybody. It's meant to be honest and reveal the pain that informs our preferences. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because nowhere in me do I see an interracial couple and immediately get mad. I'm actually not one of those girls. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my sisters do, and I understand their pain. I have the privilege of being in it, but also out of it enough to see it for what it is, but not have a personal pain body around okay. it. Which yeah. is a, a very specific and rare space to be in. Yeah. And so I'm saying, I don't actually get mad when I see y'all with white girls. I just know that some of y'all with white girls because you happen to fall in love. And some of y'all are anti-black as fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And pretending it's a preference. And you're not the same. And I think you're doing a disservice to those who have fallen in love by pretending that it's all one big pile. Like my friend Monique came on and she's married to Richard, right? Monique looks like a, a Kardashian. Richard did not get with Monique because he's anti-black. Richard loves the fuck out that girl because she's an amazing human being. We all love Monique. Mm-hmm. Monique would be in a room full of black people and it, there's no translation, no shade, no tea. Yeah. That's very different than you getting somebody that you're calling a snow bunny who you only chose because you want your kids to have a certain grade of hair. Okay. And so I want all the folks who are loving each other from a place of love and happen to be doing it in an interracial relationship to know that I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about your brethren 
who are hiding behind your coattails and pretending it's love and it's something else. And you know what's so interesting is I'm the biggest fan of black and Asian people getting together. Black and Asian. I know. Let me explain. When they did that study on, I think it was a couple of dating websites, they did a study on who is the most desirable, right? Because y'all can talk all that pro-black shit you want in public. Who you trying to fuck? Who you laying down with? Who you trying to do family with? Who you find desirable? That tells on you, right? Mm -hmm. And the lowestly searched group of people in the world when it comes to dating apps, at least this was true about five years ago, maybe it's evolved, I doubt it, is Asian men and black women. Mm-hmm. Because Dada black women are seen as, as being dominant and masculine and nasty and not beautiful, right? Like that's why we're so quick to call black women angry and all these other words. Mm-hmm. And Asian men have the other stereotype of being too docile and having small penises and having no swag, right? And so the two groups that are besieged the most by these uh, stereotypes that play on gender as a way to like dehumanize people, they were the lowest ranked. And Issa Rae, I think, at the time, saw it and was like, we need to do a romantic comedy about oh. a black woman and an Asian man. If nobody else wants us, let's all get together. Yeah, and that was how that movie came about? Yeah. And so it's just so interesting. People got mad. People who were higher on the food chain were mad that folks at the bottom of the food chain found a way to still be happy. Wow. Well, yeah, you're, su- you're supposed to be subjected and miserable to, re- to let them know that they're superior. How dare you be happy? Yeah. How dare you find a way? You want to know how I found out about colorism? How, I, how it finally hit me what was happening since yeah. I was a little bit slow. I feel like I'm telling the Forrest Gump tales. There's this boy that I liked named, uh, am I going to use his name? I can't use his name because a lot of people from, from Boston and back home watch the show. <laughs> Damn, I got to find a name for him. I'm going to call him um, John because like Dear John. There was a boy named John who I had a crush on. Yeah. And at the time, I had no qualms about my skin color. Because my, no offense, my brothers and sisters are all, my Dominican brothers and sisters, they're all lightest conversions of me. And on my personal opinion, these features look best with this co- complexion. So hey. I've, never, I've never wanted to be another color, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, um, I'm not worried about my color. I'm worried about my size. Because back then I had a, an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I was like a size six, eight, and had an oh, eating disorder. Oh I know, it's a lot. I was working out three times a day, had an eating disorder, and I was going to the Y, and I was like, I don't think John's going to like me because I'm too fat. Size eight, mind wow. you. And I saw John walking with a big girl. I was like, hold the fuck up. <laughs> John walked in with a big girl who was on par with my cuteness. Okay. On a good day, I could, I could probably run circles around her, right? That's another thing, guys. Part of being neurodivergent is I have a very accurate sense of my, my, my beauty. Like, I know I'm a cute girl, but I don't over or under extend. I'm mm-hmm. very clear what my tribe is. And so I was objectively like, oh, she's cute in my realm. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so you like big girls and you like big girls who look like me? Okay, bet. Every single week, I would see John hitting on different big girls. I was like, yo, what the fuck? Why is he not hitting on me? And at the time, mind you, I wasn't a big girl. I was a size eight, but in my mind, I was a big girl. Yeah. And so finally, I was crying to my homegirl. I was like, yo, I don't understand why he won't give me a chance. We talk all the time. We laugh all the time. He likes girls who are, who are fluffy. He, he's always giving me compliments. Why won't he talk to me? And she said, oh, honey, they're all big, light-skinned girls. So excuse me? Mm-hmm. She said, John likes big yellow girls. You're a big brown girl. And that's how I found out what colorism was. Mm. I was like, what? It had never occurred to me. Because I was okay with him being shallow. I was yeah. like, you want a girl who's cute? I'm going to wear makeup, whatever. So shallow and colorism are not the same thing. Shallow means that I want beautiful things. Colorism means I refuse to admit that blackness is beautiful. Those are two very different mm-hmm. things. And so for me, it's like there are a lot of people who think that someone's attractive, not based on how beautiful they are, but based on how close they are to whiteness. Privilege. 
And so on those dating shows, I did see a couple black girls, but they were all stunning. And they were sitting next to girls who look like unseasoned chicken. Listen. And I was like, the this disrespect. The disrespect. So my question is, how do we still, as black women living in places like L.A. and London, mm-hmm. and even going back to Haiti sometimes, mm-hmm. where it's so blatant that no matter how beautiful we are, people are going to pretend we're not. How do you make peace with it? Because for the past 24 hours since I had this epiphany about why London could not be home for me permanently, because mm-hmm. I don't want to raise my daughter. If I had a daughter in the U.K., I'd be scared for her self-esteem based on what I saw last week. How do Don't you reconcile me. with keeping your sense of self in the midst of, because for you, you've been in this longer than I have. You grew up with it. I didn't mm-hmm. find it until I was damn near an adult. How do you deal with still feeling beautiful in the midst of all that? Well, okay. Well, I'm neurodivergent as well. Child, I feel like everybody's a little so, bit of do so, you, do you want to share what kind of neurodivergent you are? For yeah. those in the audience who are new to the show, welcome. Neurodivergency means that you are someone who's not neurotypical. That usually comes out as being autistic, OCD, um, uh, dyslexic, um, gifted. Funny enough, people don't know that being gifted is a form of neurodivergency. Mm-hmm. It just means that your brain works differently. So a lot of you out there who are anxious, colorful, have a way with words, but you can't read the room, you're neurodivergent, but you're undiagnosed, particularly if you're a person of color. So what kind of neurodivergency do you have, love? Um, I have ADHD. That's very and, popular. And uh, I feel like it's uh, been compounded by um, CPTSD. Yeah. Because I, I went through a lot of that. Now, as, as, as far as how I, how I deal with colorism and reconcile with it, I will say uh, one of the things that my father did for me mm-hmm. that really helped, helped me hold on to my sanity is that he taught me very young that this is an anti-black society that we live in. Mm. Very young. I, was, I remember like he's teaching me to write my name and I'm getting the S backwards because I can't write it yet. And he's making me listen to Muta Baruka and he's making me listen to political songs. He's having me listen to Peter Tosh. Oh, wow. So from a very, very young age, I mean, like when I was eight years old, he gave me an unabridged copy of um, Huckleberry Finn. <gasps> well, all the nasty stuff in there with the, the bad words and the nick. Oh, Ooh, yeah. And I, I, I read that when I was eight years old. So my father made sure from a very young age that I understood that we live in an anti-black world. Mm-hmm. Anti-black, anti-blackness is global. Yeah. And he taught me that that shit is crazy. So whenever I would go out into the world and I would encounter it and somebody would like tell me that I'm not beautiful because I'm black or my hair. People told you that? Oh, I've heard that. Or because my skin is dark or because my hair is is coily or whatever. Whenever somebody would say that to me, I'd be like, of course you would say that. You're indoctrinated. We're all indoctrinated. You're just crazy. I'm just not even going to register that. And even, um, even when I had my moments of extreme low self-esteem because you know this they weren't they weren't making products i didn't know how to take care of my hair so my hair was always a mess i couldn't shop for myself so my so my wardrobe was was ridiculous right so i'm not feeling good about how i'm presenting but i still had that sense that these things are happening because of where I'm living. And I've and I and I lived in Haiti. I lived amongst people who weren't anti-black, right? Mm-hmm. So I know I I'm just out of place. 
So I just have to figure out where my place is and how to make peace with myself. And that's how I did it, really. It's like I just did, just did not listen to anybody. Like any, it's just like, you just crazy. I you love, crazy. I, I call it the Haitian defiance. Yes, um, def- definitely. Let me tell you something. Anybody who has like a lick of Haitian in them has a defiant nature. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that your dad instilled that in you, though, because I feel like it, what your dad did intentionally, my mother did unintentionally. My mother just never said anything anti-black around me. Mm-hmm. And she was so beautiful to me. I was like, oh, she is gorgeous. Yeah. So like... I grew up in a space where I knew that black was beautiful, and it seems like your father was more intentional about making that a thing. Because yeah. what if I had a mother who was dark-skinned but wasn't beautiful? I often think about that. If my mother was not attractive, because I was a shallow child. I wasn't colors, but I was shallow. I would call somebody ugly. I've healed from this, guys. I've healed from this, okay? I've healed. But as a kid, I was very, because I had an eating disorder, and part of being an eating disorder is being a slave to optics. Oh, okay. And so I was always like, who's cute? Like, okay, this is cute. This is not cute. How do I figure out how to like shrink and to be cute in this way? And so like, I love that there are parents who are hearing this episode who are gonna be like, shit, I gotta go tell my kid. Yeah. That the coil in their hair and the breadth of their nose and the pottiness of their lips. And I got a lot of anti-black things that I didn't realize until I was older. Mm-hmm. Friends would make fun of me for how puffy my lips were. It wasn't until I got older and I watched them all paying for these lips. I was like, that was anti-black. You know, one time in fifth, fifth or sixth grade, there was this, this boy in my class who liked me, mm-hmm. but I didn't like him back. Why? I, I just didn't. You know, I just didn't. I liked him as a person, right? But I, I, didn't, I wasn't attracted to him. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm very much like, it doesn't take me long to decide whether or not. So I knew I wasn't. And... I feel terrible, terrible about this to this day. Like one time he was like trying to hit on me or whatever. And I was like, you got puffy lips, leave me alone. <gasps> and he looks so hurt, girl. I saw it in his eyes. And Why'd you I say was, that? I was, I just felt like being mean. I just wanted him to leave me alone. And Let's I felt like being mean. You felt like being mean, but yeah. you also somewhere subconsciously knew that puffy lips was something to was, shame yeah, somebody and so I, that's still anti-blackness. Yeah, yeah that, that was my moment of being, I just wanted to say something so extreme to him that he would leave me alone. And it worked. And throwing his blackness in his face was Ooh, extreme. It, you know what's so funny? And I should have apologized. And like he might watch this because he does see my social media. So you know who you are. And oh, I'm shit, sorry. Oh, shit. Not everybody's the ops. All right. So before, <laughs> I want to make sure that we pivot real quick to hot topics. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about when we were talking about this episode, and it's so crazy how I meant to in some way talk about the colorism that I witnessed in the media in London mm-hmm. in small shades, but you ended up naturally came up organically. organically. Look at God knowing what to do. I always want to say this, that colorism hurts light-skinned people as well. It, of course it does. Because it, it does things to their minds about their value, right? Like people think, oh, a lot of dark-skinned women have beef with me when I say, my issue is with the system, not with the people. Because a biracial person did not choose to be biracial in the same way that I didn't choose to be fucking black. Mm-hmm. So how crazy would I look for hating you for something that you had no input in? Like, that makes no sense to me, right? Right. And so a lot of times when I'm in spaces where people are complaining about colorism and it turns into dehumanizing lighter people, that's where they lose me. Because I'm always against a system, but yeah. any black person in my midst is my family. I don't like talking shit about my family. Mm-hmm. And a perfect example of how the beauty standards and the proximity to whiteness that we're all beholden to affects all people, even women that you consider at the top of the colorist food chain. A big story, this is Hot Topics now, a big story that's been in the news lately is how former Wilding Out cast member Jacqueline Smith, known as Jacqueline, Jackie O, recently passed away at 32 from getting plastic surgery. Okay. And the thing about the beauty standards are... Colorism and, and desirability politics are not just about color. I say this all the time. It's about phenotypes. It's about shape. It's about size. It's about body autonomy. And she wanted to have a mommy makeover because she wanted to have 
probably, I'm assuming, allegedly, the quintessential what I call the Kardashian body, right? Like a high, a high booty and a tight stomach and mm -hmm. the, the augmented breast, whatever. You know, Those, the pulled down stomach. The pulled, yeah, the pulled down. Yeah, I don't like that shit. That whole aesthetic that is steeped in white supremacy, even as a white presenting biracial woman, you trying to attain pressure, that, right? cost this young lady her life. Right. And now, and now there's see, three children without parents. And you see all these people talking about, oh, love your body, black woman. Love yourselves. Don't go under their knife. Y'all the main ones talking about, oh, look at all them tiger stripes on your, on your tummy. Why do you think these, we, these women are modifying their bodies if it isn't to get you to accept them or just shut the fuck up? You know what's wild is that I was scrolling through the social media and on the same scroll where I saw Rest in Peace Jackie O, I saw people dragging Chica. Chica is a singer who recently went viral for um, complaining online on Twitter and venting about two babies, babies that were crying on a plane, something that a lot of us have complained about privately. And those babies, unfortunately, ended up being celebrity babies of Zonique, who is the, the daughter of um, Tiny, Tiny from es Escape, right? And so I'm scrolling past people saying rest in peace to this beautiful biracial Ooh. black woman who just lost her life trying to feel more beautiful and desirable while they are chastising and bullying a, 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 a plus-size, dark-skinned black woman who has publicly shared that she's suicidal and has mental health issues. Mm. Same breath, mm -hmm. same scroll. Did Chica actually yell at the babies on the plane, or did she, or was she just Twitter fingers? It, it was Twitter fingers. See? but So here's the thing, though, right? Like It's like we can't, when one breath say R.I.P., by, by then in the next breath, publicly shaming and bullying somebody who we know is mentally unwell. Because I wrote in the comment section, shout out to Hollywood Unlock. You know, I used to work for them, so I always have to do a little kiki in there. I said, the same people in here who are dragging this girl and being mean-spirited and making this bigger than it has to be are going to be the first ones saying rest in peace if, God forbid, she hurts herself. The first ones. So I think everybody's a little full of shit. I think everybody needs to chill out because it just breaks my heart that We'll yell mental health, mental health, mental health, and then in the next breath, people in mentally unsafe spaces, and then act shocked when the obvious happens, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's what's wild to me is when I think about what happened with Jackie O and DC um, Youngfly, that's the father of her child who was also in Wild and Out. My my thoughts and prayers go out to him, B Simone, the whole Wild and Out crew. I think about what it must be like when you are someone who's in show business who understands that you have to have certain optics, and how do you make that? that dance or that balancing act with yourself about how much of this do am I doing for my business versus how much I'm doing it for myself. Cause you're an actress, right? So you know what it's like to like understand that you can be as pro black as you want. You still want to get roles. You still want to get booked. You still want agents to want you. I've had several eight people, casting agents hit me up and offer me whole shows on major networks and then take it away when they found out my age. Yeah. Like, oh, we thought you were younger. You just, you just, you have a young spirit, right? Yeah. So, and then I'm like, damn, should I start lying about my age? Like, you find I yourself. Like we should. Mind you, I love my age, right? Right. So I know what it's like to love something about yourself and be like, but I kind of want to check in a pool. Okay. Like, my, <laughs> so how do you reconcile that? My, well, my birthday was last month, and you know, I'm, I, I got to the point where I'm kind of tired of telling people how old I am, and then there's being this whole hullabaloo about what you don't. I'm like, you know what? I'm grown. Yeah. I'm just, we don't have to talk about it. If, it. if it becomes relevant, we'll talk about it. I love where I'm at. Yeah. I'm excited about my future and I'm yeah. grown. 
You know who made me, I said after this before, you know who made me really be at peace with aging Tina Turner? Yes. She she is single-handedly the reason why aging stopped freaking with me out, freaking me out because I watched the documentary, I saw um because you know I'm at the point now where my friends are like hitting 35. Yeah. And then 36. And now I'm getting invites to I'm about to be 40 parties. I'm like, "What the fuck? What you, what you mean we about to be like what's happening, right?" Yeah. So I had a moment of panic like, "40? What the fuck is like I freaked out." Not because I had an issue with 40, but because it felt surreal that my friend because group all that energy was coming from you. Yeah, it, it felt surreal that my friend group was aging like that. Like, yeah. what do you what do you mean the, the little kids that we thought were cute are now adults and drinking age? Like, what are you talking about? Right. And so your mortality is a little bit it's daunting. And then I watched Tina Turner documentary. If you haven't watched a Tina Turner documentary, please check it out. And in that documentary, I very quickly realized, wow, she really started over at 40. 42. She didn't, and what's love got to do with it didn't start till she was 45. Like that song hit the charts when she was around 45. Imagine being a 45 year old rock star. Can I tell you my little story about Tina? You met her? No. Oh, uh, I got excited, girl. I want almost, no. I was like, hug my hand, <laughs> touch me. I wanted to no. be contagious. When what happened I, with Tina? When I was little, right, my dad had private dancer on cassette tape and he let me play that shit out. Like I was playing it all day. It's a very inappropriate song for a child. The, the, Shout the, out to the, the 80s. The, the whole album. The whole album. <laughs> Private dancer. Mm-hmm. Dancer from money. It was about sex work. Okay. Of course. Yeah. But the whole album. I knew the whole album more for So the thing is, is uh, Tina Turner was the first person I heard sing rock music. <gasps> so in my mind, rock music is something black women do. No, well, I mean, it's, well, it's, that's historically accurate. It, that, that, that's, yeah. it's, it's steeped in blackness. Yes. Right. Yeah. But no, 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 no. I thought that genre belonged to black women. I'm Only black women do it. Oh. So when I see when I see a hair metal band on VH1, I'm like, why are these men imitating Tina Turner? And so that's I'm, hilarious. So somebody had to explain to me, and I was just like, this feels wrong. It, Tina should be doing this. Well, you know what's so funny? Mick Jagger actually said that he got his stage presence from Tina Turner. Right, so right. So one of the biggest rock stars in the world actually admits, we all know that Beyonce was a Tina Turner fan. We were like, oh my God, when Tina Turner died, we all Beyonce does a tribute. Yeah. And she did actually, when I went to the concert in London, she did a moment of silence for Tina and sang one of her songs beautifully. <laughs> I got chills. Just, ugh, I'm getting chills right now just thinking about it. So mm. we all know about the Beyonces of the world who grew up watching Tina Turner. A little white boy, Mick Jagger, watched Tina Turner. He was inspired as mm-hmm. well. And I just... I, I think the point of this podcast in particular is like there's so many places where white supremacy stops us from seeing our shared humanity. Yes. And I love that people are always shocked when they find out how many white friends I have. They're like, Blue, you're so pro-black. How the fuck do you have white friends? Being they a white, know what's up. Being a white person is not the same thing as, as subscribing to white supremacy. Exactly. And I have lots of white friends who are actively trying to dismantle the white supremacy they've been taught, and who better to be friends with? What did Rihanna say? Then someone's gonna keep it a buck. What did Rihanna say? If they're if they're your friends and they want to be around you, then your problems are their problems. Exactly. So they need to pull up. I have so many Asian friends who had to hit me to Asian issues. I I, I don't know shit about the Asian culture. They had to, sh- to show me so much stuff about how they experienced their version of, of of bigotry and bias, and I was like. Oh shit! I never thought about how wide my eyelids are. Like there are things that you guys think about what? as far as Asian people. A lot of times, there's thing about eyelid surgery to look more American, more white presenting. So that's why they do be doing the little plastic strips in the makeup. As an as an as an ally to the Asian community, I had to learn, and so wow. it's like I think a lot of times people oh. of color only see 
um, white supremacy as something that impacts uh, impacts black people. And I'm telling you, no, it impacts the entire world, even including white, white folks who want to be, do better. Yeah, because it dehumanizes them too. It you does. have you have to give up your humanity in order to be white and and to full, really believe that everybody else is supposed to be subjugated. Yeah, like. You cut yourself off from the community. Like there's, there's, and then no, when you try to reintegrate, we're looking at you funny because you didn't acknowledge right. your privilege. It's not cultural exchange; it's cultural appropriation. Yeah. Right. And and when we're adopting things from your culture, it's not cultural exchange. It's exchange. It's assimilation because we're doing it to survive. So there's no real exchange or partnership here. There's always that divide, right? And um, I, I like, I guess I have like a pretty extreme stance on this because I have, I have friends who are white too, right? And I used to have. Did you date a white guy before? I used to be married yeah. to a white man, so, but we're not gonna talk about. No, him. no, we're gonna pause on this because I, before, because here's the thing that the internet <laughs> likes to do, right? The internet likes to take sound bites and be like, oh my god, these two brown-skinned black women are gonna sit here and talk shit about interracial relationships oh, and black no. men and preferences, and you just mad that you weren't chose. Oh. Both of us have dated white men in the past. I've been married. She married a white man. Okay. And if it wasn't for a condom, she might have had a biracial baby, right? So, mm -hmm. like, I need y'all to understand that. <laughs> Look at Rose. Rose, I know how sex works. You married the man, right? Yes. And so I need folks to know that it, it serves everybody in the best way when we can be this honest with each other mm -hmm. and not be doing it from a place of projected pain. I think the biggest issue with talking about colorism, racism, white supremacy, interracial dating, et cetera, is people who are speaking from a place of unhealed or unexamined pain tend to bleed all over the microphone and make it hard for others to hear right. what they're saying because the pain is louder than the message. It's just a flow of emotions. It's not articulate, But right? mind you, they don't always, their articulation. Right. So those of you who bleed all over the mic, I, I, I weep for your pain because you don't deserve that, right? Yeah. But those of us who are further in our healing, I think we have a responsibility to share because we have the bandwidth to talk about it in a way that they don't. Right. Because I always tell people all the time, how somebody deals with being hit by a car is none of your business. Two, two of us could get hit by a car. You might just get up and like wipe it off and go. I might go to the emergency room. I'm not a stupid dumb bitch because I had to go to the emergency room because I had a bro broken bone. Mm -hmm. You just happen to be the one who was able to walk away. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we've both been subjugated to and dealt with and been mired down by colorism, but we were able to get up and dust it off and walk away. Mm -hmm. And for our brothers and sisters who are still on the ground in the ambulance trying to find a semblance of self-love in, in this place that's meant for them to hate themselves, I think we have the ability and the privilege to speak about it from a clear head. Mm -hmm. So I don't want people who are like, oh my God, you sound, I don't want anybody to be in the comments saying, Blue, I love that you could talk about this without making me feel X, Y, and Z because that other dumb bitch made me... Do not talk bad about people who do not know how to process a pain that they do not deserve. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times in black communities, those of us who can articulate are then heightened and, and, and deified yeah. as the good Negroes who can share their pain without making white people uncomfortable. Ooh. And I, I don't like that either. Right. Because that's still anti-blackness. You're still tokenizing me. Exactly. I don't know what it's like. And to I don't really care life. about their comfort. Right. Like, I don't know what it's like to be, um, have white privilege. I do know what it's like to be a token. Mm -hmm. I'm an articulate, educated Ooh, black woman. Yeah. I they, In my old job, my last nine to five job, they used to call me Blue Bama. Because I was one of the Obama type of blacks. My nickname was Blue, Blue Bama. Bama. I know. I almost actually registered BlueBama.com until oh I realized Lord. that. Blue, that's anti-blackness, babe. Oh they don't mean Obama like a compliment. Oh right? And so I'm used to being seen as, oh, you're the kind of black person who's reasonable. We can talk to you. Yeah. I, I went what do you say about my hood rat cousins, though, bro? They're still human. 
I went through a period of that too because um, of what respectability politics or being oh, a token? The, uh, both. Uh-huh. Well, not really respectability policies because even when I tried, I'm gonna say I tried it, right? Oh, you tried I to tried be a Carlton, but like, but like, then it would run up against my blackness, yeah. my Haitianness, and then I would be like, this shit don't make sense. I can't do it. I did try. So you tried to sip the Kool Aid, but you coughed I it did, back up. I did try to assimilate. I tried very hard, and and <laughs> it was, you know, you know, my, they were like, "Bitch, what are you doing?" I'm happy that you keep saying assimilating. For those who, again. Uh, I, I always we're about to wrap up soon I always do this show as far as like the people who know the way that I talk they know how my friends talk they're listening to this conversation it's, it's breakfast as usual but there's always folks who are listening to the show for the first time and so I, I'm trying to get better at not assuming where the audience is coming from mm-hmm. and I love what you said earlier about assimilation right versus mm-hmm. appropriation mm-hmm. when you are the default nobody can appropriate you because you said that you were the default mm-hmm so when a black person tries to, in some way, emulate emulate whiteness, they are not appropriating. They are trying to survive. They are assimilating what is considered the default norm for survival so they can get a job, so they can join the military, so they can get their, their house appraised properly. You know what I mean? There are so many things because of systemic racism that mean that black folks, when they try to become more white, that is a survival tactic. Okay. It's a trauma response. Okay. But when you are the person who is the default, the person in power, and you reach down to those who you've convinced the world are lesser than you and take even more from them, that is appropriation. It's appropriation. So I think I need all of you keyboard think piece writers who are like, well, why are you mad at white girls for having braids when y'all have blonde hair? I need y'all to go back to school. I'm not saying that you're a bad person. I'm not even saying you're an, an idiot because the old me would have called you a dumbass. I'm saying you need more education, right? Yes. Because nuance needs to be your friend before you start responding to these kind of conversations. I like when people talk about- I also about- need them to be active listeners because I told a black man this. This is, and this is like years ago when I'm- first discovering the language myself. Mm-hmm. And he said those exact things. Why do you get mad at um, white girls when they get braids when you guys bleach your hair or whatever? And I said, assimilation isn't the same as appropriation. And he laughed at me. Well, that's what, because a lot of people laugh when, they, when they're scared or, or embarrassed. Like, ha, 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 whatever, bitch. I will say this too. <laughs> a, a white girl wearing braids is called edgy and she's on the cover of a magazine and she's okay. walking New York Fashion Week. I wear braids to work. I get written up for being a professional. So another thing too is a lot of times when people appropriate, those who are appropriating get applauded for things that would have gotten me in trouble and fired. Okay, and that's it's why not equal. It's, it's not, not the same. It's not. And so I, I really think that we need to live in a world where people are, are creating false equivalencies. People create a world where they compare women to men and black people to white people. And I was like, those equivalencies would only make sense if we lived in a world where we were equal. Right. And, and we're, we're not. not. We're but not. critical thinking. Somebody who's below you in the food chain doing the same thing is not the same thing. Mm-mm. They're reaching up. You're reaching down. Direction matters. Um, Rose, this conversation was so good. I feel like we could have done another hour. Yeah. Aaron, what do you think about the conversation? Aaron's like, this is a, this is a lot. I snatched off about five wigs. That's, that's every day. <laughs> I, prob- I promise you, there were people who were like listening to us when we talk about colors and like, yeah. And then I started talking about being bitter and hating on love. They're like, oh, bitch, I didn't think you were going to come for us too. Mm. I feel like we pissed off a little bit of everybody. A little bit of everybody. A little bit for everybody. Let me not assume pissed off. I hope that we enlightened people even from a place of discomfort, right? Because I feel like the black women who are bitter and have so much understandable but unhealed pain around interracial relationships I need them to heal because that's not going to get you chose. Okay. And the black men who are being intellectually dishonest 
about their preferences. Pretending that a thing isn't a thing isn't going to make it less hurtful. I would just love everybody to just start telling the truth so we can heal. Rose, do you have any last words before we wrap up the show? Yeah, I would like to um, suggest that everybody reads The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. That book started me, that that book, a real major shift. And uh, practice tolerance for everyone. You know, it, it's hard to be an active listener, especially when you're in the middle of your own emotions. But when you, you care about yourself and you care about your fellow man, just practice pausing and listening instead of reacting. I love that you the four agreements because whenever I date somebody, the, I always give them two books, the four agreements mm-hmm. and the mastery of love. Mastery of love. Mastery of love is the, is the, I think the four agreements is a great baseline. And I think the mastery of love takes it to the next level by how you, don't bleed over people when you're trying to love them. And those two books, Four Agreements of Mastery of Love, I literally have two copies of each in my home at all times because I have to give them to somebody. Uh-huh. They're a great baseline. I'm working on my book right now, and my goal is to make my book as impactful and helpful as those two books. So I love that you said that. If people want to find you, Rose, where can they find you? I am everywhere. On social Uh-oh. media. On social media. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we don't want any stalkers. <laughs> no, no. Any, any, any social media platform that I have a profile on, you can find me at Witchy Rose. That's Witchy Rose, W I C T H Y R O S E H. And uh, my thing is, that it's a writer's strike. That's a whole other conversation that's happening. So. <sighs> As an actress in the industry, I can just imagine what you're going through right now. You guys already know where you can find me. I'm at BlueCentric on Instagram and the Twitters or whatever. Um, I think I'm at Blue Toulouse on TikTok. I'm not really a TikToker, but I'll be dropping videos on there every once in a while, and I go viral, and then I disappear again. Um, and also, for those who've been asking, the Own Die Shift workshop is coming back in the fall. We usually only do two a year. We're doing a third one this year because we actually fit, feel, fit, I'm sorry, we actually reach maximum capacity for the last class so so there were some folks who couldn't get into the last one so we're going to be doing it in september if you've been wanting to do it please do it shout out to the 30 beautiful souls who have been doing the class with me for the last couple of weeks it's been amazing rose actually did one of the the, what did you do the winter one yes that was a that was a great class it was a great class. it was you and bridget and cheech and them yeah that was a spicy class lots of revelations lots of revelations and if you guys want to do readings consultations or do a one-on-one therapy session with me i'm not a therapist i'm a coach so it's a coaching session guys you guys keep saying i'm signing up for therapy it's coaching Okay, therapy is something very different. One-on-one coaching session with me, go to bluecentricshop.com backslash readings. That is bluecentric, spelled correctly, shop.com backslash readings. And as always, please be gentle with yourselves because we're all just human beings doing human shit. Bye. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour. Hey, guys. It's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.
Electricast.